Welcome to Repro's Fight Back, a podcast on all things repro. I'm your host, Jenny Wetter, and each episode I will be taking you to the front lines of the escalating fight over our sexual and reproductive health and rights at home and abroad. Each episode, I will be speaking with leaders who are fighting to protect our reproductive health and rights to ensure that no one's reproductive health depends on where they live. It's time for Repros to fight back. Welcome to Repros Fight Back. Happy New Year, and I hope everybody had a wonderful holiday. Uh, since this week's episode is coming out on New Year's Day, it seemed like the perfect time to do a year in review, kind of looking back at all the many things that have happened over the past year. So I couldn't think of a better person to talk to to, to break that down than Jacqueline Ayers from Planned Parenthood. Um, Jacqueline, hi. Thanks for being here. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. And you're right. What an amazing time to look back at where we've come from. Yeah. It was a little shocking. Like, you know a lot of things have happened, but like looking back at kind of the full list, it was a lot. Absolutely. The last two years have been an unrelentless attack from the Congress, from the administration. Um, and I think uh, now as we enter into 2019, uh, we have some bright spots to look ahead to. Yes. So I've definitely I've added that to the end because I figured that otherwise it'll be pretty negative. <laughs> we need to focus on one, looking forward. But two, there are some bright spots when we think about looking forward. So... Um, because there were so many attacks, um, we broke them down into types, which I think was super helpful. Um, so first, one of the types of attacks was trying to block access to getting care at Planned Parenthood. Yeah, I mean, I recall the beginning of the 115th Congress, uh, then Speaker Paul Ryan had said, hey, we're going to, uh, one of our first acts will be to uh, dismantle the Affordable Care Act and defund Planned Parenthood. They entered uh, with a straight agenda um, and spent really all of 2017 attempting to do that and soundedly failed because so many people did speak out. And then in 2018, we saw more actions happen from the Trump administration's Health and Human Services Department, where they had encouraged states to try and defund Planned Parenthood, so-called, by preventing health centers uh, from participating in the Medicaid program. So we saw state after state put forward waiver request asking the administration to basically kick Planned Parenthood out and, and treat Planned Parenthood differently than any other healthcare provider um, by not allowing Planned Parenthood health centers to get reimbursements under the Medicaid program. Um, so here we are, uh, two years into the Trump-Pence administration, and we have uh, yet to see the Congress be able to achieve that goal. Uh, and so far, uh, we're still waiting to see what will happen with waivers uh, from various states like uh, Texas and South Carolina. Um, and we know that they're going to continue to also try and push this in the courts, which we see many states try to do. So a lot has been accomplished, but uh, that uh, main agenda item of conservative and anti-reproductive health uh, or uh, efforts has not gone away. And I think it's really important to kind of flush that out just a tiny bit, because I feel like 
people often hear we need to defund Planned Parenthood and they don't really understand what that means. And I think you kind of gave a good flag to that as it means that patients on Medicaid would not be able to go to Planned Parenthood as their provider. And I think people don't necessarily understand that that's what that means. Yeah. I mean, if you're a low income individual who relies on Medicaid to get your health care, you actually have a protection in the law that says you can go to your provider of choice. Any willing provider that participates in the program, the patient gets to decide. These mean-spirited efforts, both in Congress and from state laws, are really targeting and taking away the ability for low-income individuals to go to the healthcare provider of choice. If Planned Parenthood is your provider of choice, uh, these unfair efforts would say uh, you cannot get uh, re- the healthcare provider, Planned Parenthood, and health centers would not be able to get reimbursed. Um, and so that means that people would lose access. Uh, we all know that uh, individuals, uh, if they can't find a provider or another provider, um, they, instead of, uh, you know, traveling or going other places, what they'll do is ultimately just go without care. Uh, We saw this uh, in 2017 when Congress tried it. Um, We uh, had a lot of information out there about what are the alternatives? Where are there places people can go? I think one of the myths you frequently hear is just attend a community health center. You'll go and get your care at a community health center. Uh, And fortunately, there have been a lot of local community health centers across the country who stepped up to say, wait a minute, actually, we refer our patients to a Planned Parenthood health center uh, to get uh, the best accurate full range of uh, FDA-approved methods of contraception um, for expertise in reproductive health care. And uh, even other providers have said, hey, we need Planned Parenthood health centers to participate so that the whole network uh, for care really will work. And um, thankfully, uh, they weren't able to do it in the Congress. Um, and 2019, uh, we know that their efforts have been completely stopped because of the outcome of the midterm elections. I always found it um, funny, not in a really funny way, but in a you laugh so you don't cry kind of way, where they would release the lists of, hey, look, these are all the federally qualified providers that women can go to instead and it's like a dentist and I feel like Florida had one and it was like a prison and like I've seen libraries on those lists like (laughs) these are not places where you're gonna go to get reproductive health care like I it boggles my mind when you always see these lists called out for that yeah, it, it is really um, ridiculous because it just shows how to touch these elected officials are with how people live their lives, how they get health care. Um, the reality is, is that most women of reproductive age are going to their OBGYN or a Planned Parenthood health center or other reproductive health care provider as their main source of health care. Um, because typically those are the uh, places where you get a well woman exam, uh, access to birth control, um, cervical cancer screenings, STI testing, and uh, annually that's the kind of care that young women are most likely to seek um, when politicians' answers to them is to attend a dentist or to go to a library. I think it just really shows that they're out of touch uh, and uh, that they don't really understand the reality of people's lives and how they need to get health care. One other place where we saw attacks on um, blocking care at Planned Parenthood was with changes to Title X. You want to touch on that a little bit too? Yeah. um, Title X is a 40-year-old federal program. It's the nation's only federal program really dedicated to uh, birth control access and uh, has been bipartisan. Uh, It's uh, unfortunately uh, not been fully funded for years and years, but um, it has been supported uh, in the Congress and in the administration. 
And then unfortunately, when we had the Trump-Pence administration entered, um, we saw in 2018 that they uh, attempted to put forward a couple of things, a funding uh, announcement that would have drastically changed the program and also a regulation uh, that would have said providers are not allowed to give full information to their patients, uh, particularly about abortion. And this has been uh, known and read about in the media a lot as the domestic gag rule. Um, That's a regulation that we're still waiting to see, could be finalized very early January 2019. Uh, This is essentially unfair and discriminatory. It would block providers from being able to give their full information to their patients about the best source of their care. Uh, We and Anticipate that this is the, exactly the kind of regulation that the new Congress, uh, particularly a new House of Representatives that will be pro-reproductive health care, uh, can speak out against, can take action against. Um, and we're going to continue to need people um, to lift their voices up, just like they did in 2017. Um, this is essentially a, a regulation uh, for the Title X Family Planning Program that is targeted at reproductive health care providers that also provide abortion. And this uh, regulation has said not only can you not give full information, uh, it also would prevent uh, healthcare providers from being located in the same entity where you provide family planning care and abortion care. This is a section of the regulation called physical separation. So um, it's really detailed and technical. Uh, ultimately, what it would mean is the Trump Pence administration is trying to drastically change the Title X family planning program and it would result in less people having access to care. Yeah, and again, it's just trying to separate abortion from other health care. Reminding that abortion is health care. Right, exactly, <laughs> and that abortion is health care, and it's part of reproductive health care, and trying to separate them is only harmful to women. Absolutely. I, I just keep thinking about the fact that um, the reality of how women live their lives means that they need to be able to uh, take care of the families and the children that they have. And also, um, if they need abortion, they have that ability to get the care they need to keep continue their education and continue uh, working. Uh, this is uh, really uh, mean-spirited, and it's designed to discriminate against uh, women and others who may need abortion care uh, by separating it out stigmatizing abortion, making it seem as though somehow all providers shouldn't provide information about this critical health care service. Um, uh, really, this uh, domestic gag rule, um, folks may be more familiar with it because we've seen it on the international scale right. for years and years with the global gag. Um, those are the kinds of policies that they're trying to bring uh, here domestically. And, and if you know this rule goes into effect, I think we'll start immediately to see health centers impacted and, and patients' lives impacted. Yeah, and that's something you really are starting to see a lot is things getting tested on the global space and then being brought back domestically and a little bit both ways, right? Things that we're seeing them try domestically are getting pushed out globally. Really, it's been uh, interesting to see that whether we're talking about uh, access to reproductive health care uh, here in the United States or abroad, uh, the agenda is still the same. Um, the Trump-Pence administration is looking at po- programs led by the Department of Health and Human Services, programs at the U.S. State Department, and they're applying these same tricks uh, across the globe uh, to gag people from getting full uh, information, uh, to uh, try and censor people, uh, and ultimately uh, just push uh, really what is a uh, 
really unpopular agenda uh, when you're talking to just the average uh, people. But unfortunately, um, the politicians and the administrators who sit at these uh, agencies in the Trump-Pence administration are too often really not driven by outcome and thinking about what it means for patient care. Um, We know these uh, anti-abortion, very conservative and hate groups that are behind these efforts are looking to spread these policies both in the U.S. and around the globe. So that kind of leads us into the next kind of bucket of issues, which is basic attacks on the healthcare system. Um, There have been a number of various attacks in that area from um, having stake uh, work requirements on Medicaid um, to the new finalized birth control rule to the um, proposed public charge. Um, yeah, thank you for lifting that up because uh, the rate at which uh, in 2018 we saw new regulations coming out from the Department of Health and Human Services has been a lot to keep up with. Yeah. Um, it's been a, a, a lot of um, uh, th- being thrown at us all at one time, but really, as you said, it's under the same uh, efforts, which is to dismantle health care. Um, the Trump-Pence administration has given an indication out to states that they could drastically change their Medicaid program uh, for the first time, requiring Medicaid work requirements. Um, in the Medicaid program, we know uh, one in five women actually rely on Medicaid uh, as their source of health care. So uh, these efforts stigmatize uh, the working poor, uh, making it seem as though the uh, low-income individuals relying on these programs are not currently working, uh, so putting misinformation out there about them, uh, and also serve as barriers sometimes for people who are going to school, um, who have uh, other things um, that they may be pursuing and not able to work the required hours uh, that is being proposed in states all over the country. We've seen states uh, putting up these efforts But it's important for, I think, everybody to know these efforts to dismantle Medicaid are not just about the work requirements. Many of these same states are also saying uh, that they would like to uh, advance a a rule where Planned Parenthood health centers could not be uh, reimbursed. And so when you think about uh, a state that has a work requirement that kicks certain providers out of the program, um, for the individuals living in those states, they just erected so many barriers that essentially healthcare access, even if you have coverage, uh, being able to access and get the care you need uh, could become impossible. Uh, And so, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people... Uh, No, and we saw in 2017, Medicaid is a very popular program. Um, We saw people uh, who came out, uh, came to the Capitol, who lined uh, the Capitol to prevent Congress from dismantling that program. Uh, But unfortunately, not enough attention has been given to the fact that the Department of Health and Human Services is also trying to dismantle that program. That's something you don't hear about as much, um, especially if you're not really tuned into kind of uh, the healthcare sphere. Like just living your average life, you probably wouldn't hear as much about it until it impacted your life. Yeah, I'm from Kentucky, and this is a state where we've seen the governor uh, try to impose work requirements uh, uh, thanks to good partners like the National Health Law Program. Uh, their efforts uh, made it uh, stop and temporarily in the courts. Um, but as the state has continued to push through, uh, in just a matter of months in 2019, we'll see people who have relied on that program for years and years to get their care and 
and now risk losing that care if uh, low premiums and uh, continued evidence of work, uh, 20 to 35 hours a week of work has not been proven to the state. Um, Too often, as you just said, if you're busy working and taking care of your family, all of the nuance of these regulations sometimes uh, are complicated and don't make sense to people. Uh, And so unfortunately, I think, and there have been a lot of analysis out there showing um, in states like my home state of Kentucky and other states where they're trying to pursue these uh, efforts, like uh, in Texas, we we know that people are going to lose access to care. And a lot of the progress that we made after the Affordable Care Act, uh, it really is going to be lost under the Trump-Pence administration. So we know that we need more of our uh, repro fights uh, back warriors and people who are speaking up and sharing information really uh, to help make sure that people are getting to their elected officials to speak out. I think one thing that has kind of been lost because there's always so much going on at the same time is the birth control rule getting finalized. You know, there was a lot of uproar when the temporary final rule was issued last year, but it kind of became final with kind of a whimper. <laughs> yeah. Um, for folks that may not have uh, recalled, this feels like a lifetime ago now, January <laughs> of 2018, uh, we did see that um, there was a proposed rule to uh, allow uh, an entity to refuse health care uh, for someone in particularly uh, refuse abortion care, uh, transgendered health services, but also access to birth control, sterilization, or really any health care service that a health care provider um, disagrees with based on uh, their religion. Um, this rule that you're referring to would create really an expansive expansive enforcement authority. And so what we what we know is that um, if a healthcare official, a doctor, someone you see disagrees with the healthcare service that you need, um, this rule would allow their religion to discriminate basically on the type of healthcare that you get. We again have seen the courts play a big role here. Um, in 2018, we know that um, there uh, were various birth control rules the Trump-Pence administration tried to put forward that uh, two circuits uh, actually stopped uh, from it going into effect and had a nationwide ban. So that uh, is good and in place. But we're also still waiting for even uh, for these more expansive rules that uh, uh, would undo protections in the Affordable Care Act um, and would allow for refusal Uh, religious refusal rules to take effect in a broad way, that could still happen in 2019. So um, we definitely need more uh, people talking to their elected officials and uh, also now starting to think about how do we get the next and new administration who can start to undo some of some of these things. Um, We know that uh, this is really uh, meant to be complicated. The fact that there have been multiple rules that attack birth control. Uh, They're uh, trying to make it really hard for even some of the most informed advocates to stay up to speed with everything that's been happening. Um, So really now more than ever, it's important to talk uh, and have elected officials talking about why uh, birth control matters. Yeah. And I think, you know, the religious refusals part of that was um, so expansive and so many people just didn't know kind of the full scope of that. Um, I think I talked about on the show before, somebody I'm really close to is actually the president of a local hospital. And I remember venting to her about uh, when these rules were being proposed about how expansive they were. And she just 
did not have a good grasp on on that. And, you know, you would think that some of these people in these positions might have had a better idea, but there was just so much, uh, so many complicated parts of it that people didn't necessarily know all the details. Our partners, Planned Parenthood, uh, had over 200,000 people submit comments before uh, the regulation could become uh, final and start to take effect. But even that vast number of people taking comments and sending in their thoughts to the uh, Department of Health and Human Services, um, there's still so little that's known about it. And here's why I think we're not uh, seeing more attention to it is because um, the rule has now been final and should actually, its implementation date, the date at which it should start to take effect is uh, later in January of 2019. So it's not until, unfortunately, I think people actually feel the results and the hardships of these regulations could, when in fact people could be denied birth control and not know it's because their employer has decided not to cover uh, the insurance that covers birth control. Um, it's really unfortunate that uh, somebody would have to go from having a no copay birth control uh, to uh, showing up at the pharmacy one day and then having uh, to pay for the first time in years. Uh, it's not until we start to hear those stories of people speaking mm-hmm. up are people, I think, going to um, take more uh, attention to what all of this really means. And it's unfortunate that it has to um, take effect at all, but I, I do think that they're speaking out, sharing stories it is going to be especially important. Um, and even just using social media to share why birth control has made a difference in, in women's lives and uh, individuals who rely on birth control are able to uh, continue their education and continue their employment opportunities, um, of being able to plan and space their uh, birth of their families uh, really has contributed. I think one of uh, the exciting moments that we're in right now is an incoming class of new women into the Congress. Many of you are young women, many of you are um, young moms and um, all have, you know, their own story of how uh, being able to access reproductive health care and birth control has led them to this moment. So as bad as some of the impact of these rules can be, I do think that um, there's a lot of power in storytelling. Absolutely. You know, it's so important because I think a lot of people get to a place in their lives where they can forget how expensive birth control can be to people who can't afford it. I mean, I definitely remember a time right out of college, even with insurance, my birth control was going to be like $65 a month. Mm -hmm. And I really had to think about it. And there was definitely a time where I wasn't, where I just couldn't make that choice, where I just chose to not use birth control. Um, And, you know, I was in a place where that was an okay decision for me, but, um, not everybody can make that decision and people shouldn't have to make that decision. Yeah, absolutely. I I can remember a former member of Congress, a a woman member of Congress saying her birth control story was uh, trying to decide whether to afford the bus fare to get her son to daycare and herself to work or to uh, put out the money for that birth control so that she could uh, continue to working to take care of the son that she had and prevent um, uh, future uh, births until she was ready. And um, it's one of the reasons that compelled her to come to Congress and be a, a member of Congress uh, and talking about that real-life impact. And it's one of the collective community successes of the Affordable Birth Con- of the Affordable Care Act when we actually had uh, no copay birth control pass under that 
that law. Um, this is exactly the kind of progress the Trump-Pence administration is trying to take away, um, not just uh, the prescription birth control, but all 18 FDA-approved forms of birth control. And we know that uh, long-acting reversible contraceptions could be up to $1,200 if you use right. certain types of IUDs. Um, and so uh, most people are not <laughs> trying right. that out of pocket. Um, that is going to be too much of a barrier. So it's really these protections, long fought for protections in the Affordable Care Act that have to be um, continually talked about, shared, and uh, why elected officials who are the incoming class of the 116th Congress were going to have to work to protect and push back against the the Trump-Pence administration. Um, The one bright spot, I guess I I would say, about what everything we've been seeing, the regulations, all the things that have been coming out, is that uh, at least for right now, uh, we haven't lost completely all of that progress. Um, The Affordable Care Act is still in place and is law of the land. Affordable birth control under the no no copay birth control benefit does still, in fact, exist. Um, Medicaid has not been completely dismantled yet. Um, We know and uh, talked a lot about all of the uh, actions that they have taken and will continue to take to go after sexual reproductive health and rights. But um, I believe in a lot of ways they haven't been successful because uh, people have used their collective power and their voice um, to speak up. Um, And there's just one thing you want to make sure that we're clarifying, and that's the birth control part uh, of the rule has been, it it has finalized and will go into effect in January, but the more expansive kind of religious refusals part has not been finalized yet, right? That's right. Um, And uh, we're awaiting a regulation to be really technical, a a 1557 regulation, which is a a portion of the Affordable Care Act that would protect people from uh, allowing religion to discriminate against their health care. We're still waiting um, for the Trump administration to put that regulation through. We've only seen it proposed at this point. Um, I think another thing that's really worth talking about that we're seeing both on the domestic side and on the international side is censorship Mm. um, and trying to prevent um, the State Department or Health and Human Services from using certain words around um, sexual and reproductive health. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people did not uh, pay attention to this because of the flurry of information that was coming. But with the Centers for Disease Control, and I know also over uh, at the State Department and information shared with U.S. embassies around the world, we've seen attempts through uh, internal memos at these federal agencies that would discourage the use of phrases like sexual and reproductive health care, trying to eliminate uh, references to transgendered individuals. And essentially, you might stop and think, what would be the purpose of circulating a memo like that? Why are they trying to uh, really censor the words of, of government employees who are working on these programs? And at its core, right, this is just about further stigmatizing, discriminating against individuals and trying to create erasure, um, really, and trying to erase, uh, again, the reality of people's lives and the idea that the Centers for Disease Control uh, would not be able to talk in scientific evidence-based terms about sexual reproductive health care is not, it's censorship and it's also just really an attack on science. Uh, And so uh, we at Planned Parenthood have been trying to bring more attention to this and um, are putting up uh, on our tracking trapping 
Trump.org is a website where we have been trying to capture all of these uh, actions, make sure that we're sharing with our supporters, and they can uh, read on there about all of these uh, all of these attempts. But we also have been uh, using supportive members of Congress, uh, members of Congress who are supportive of sexual and reproductive health care and rights, um, doing letters, uh, asking for more information and, and clear oversight and accountability of these agencies. Um, and that's going to be even really uh, more important in 2019 as the House has uh, taken back um, the, the uh, taken back by those who are supportive of sexual and reproductive health and rights. I hope this year we're going to see some uh, oversight and investigations into uh, how science really has been been undermined by this administration. Yeah, um, that's kind of one of my pet issues. Um, I come from actually an environmental science background. Um, so science is always like one of those things that when I just see all of these attacks just on kind of basic science, they, it just really fires me off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's, and there's so much of it happening. I mean, um, look at the uh, teen pregnancy prevention program. Um, this is a program uh, that is uh, now about eight, nine years old that uh, has been funded to make sure that comprehensive sexuality education is available to young people. Uh, and unfortunately, the Trump-Pence administration has tried to uh, even target a program like that with uh, wrong science and um, not using evidence-based uh, practices in those kinds of programs and instead have tried to change those programs into what they are now calling sexual risk avoidance. Uh, we should not be mixed up or confused. No. That's the same old school abstinence only until marriage uh, kinds of uh, agenda that we saw in previous administrations and just using a new dressed up name. And again, not uh, based in science, not being inclusive of LGBTQ and uh, uh, young people and having uh, really standing on the side of making sure everybody has access to full information. Um, that's another area where the courts have been really important because of the Trump-Pence administration's efforts to try to take evidence-based uh, policies away from programs like the Teen Pregnancy Prevention Program uh, and try to change it using regulations and funding announcements, um, we've seen courts uh, step in and uh, stop the Trump-Pence uh, administration so far from being able to make those changes. Yeah, I um, found, so the sexual risk avoidance language is definitely pulling from like public health and like how they would talk about disease control and things. Um, so that was definitely something when I was at the American Public Health Association conference and I was talking about um, on a panel presenting about our 50-state report card we do was flagging that, you know, people really need to keep an eye on that because they are taking public health language to repackage the same terrible abstinence only and not using evidence-based um, programs to to uh, fight it. It's uh, really amazing to think about as a country, right? We've made a lot of progress in 30 years or so of uh, reducing um, the number of young people who are facing um, pregnancy before they choose to, increasing the number of young people who have the full range of 
information and ability to access services um, if they choose to be sexually active. And now, unfortunately, because of misinformation, not making policy decisions based on the evidence of where we've come, as she said, using phrases that sound like they're public health but are just dressed mm-hmm. up to mean abstinence only, uh, it is really a sign that we could go we could go backward. We could lose the kind of progress that has resulted in uh, young people uh, being uh, more confident, more informed uh, about their decisions uh, for their health and bodies and wellness. And so um, we know that, again, I'm just really hopeful that this uh, incoming Congress uh, can be a place that in the U.S. House of Representatives, at least, uh, will be a place where they can look through uh, more oversight of uh, the teen pregnancy prevention program, but uh, also hopefully uh, start to get our investments back on a track of where federal money attracts where the evidence and where science tells us to go. So thinking about the abstinence only, it just makes me think kind of a theme that we keep pulling out is shame and stigma, like trying to increase shame and stigma around sexual and reproductive health, around comprehensive sex education. Yeah, that's so depressing. Yeah, I mean, I I do think that uh, when you peel back all the layers, the details, the regulations, all the things that happened and were released in 2018, you're so correct that this is a clear agenda by the Trump-Pence administration to uh, put forward shame, increase stigma, um, to uh, not talk about sexual and reproductive health care and somehow stigmatize and not normalize that uh, the sexuality, health, and education is about our daily lives for all of us. Uh, You know, I think that it really is just a sign that... um, this uh, administration and the politicians uh, who follow this sort of agenda needs to probably get out of Washington, meet more people on the ground. We know that uh, whether you're a Republican or Democrat, parents all, all across the country want their young people to have access to evidence-based, accurate information. Um, so, you know, these attacks that we're seeing on evidence, on facts, whether it's, I think, you know, in journalism, in healthcare, in the public health field, um, there are these key themes. And, and so I just come, keep coming back to, I think, uh, supporters of reproductive health care and rights and activists uh, really have to take uh, as much action as they can by sharing their stories uh, being active on social media, um, talking to elected officials, getting their communities engaged. Um, And I am really impressed that the last two years we've not seen that waiver. I mean, since the Women's March of 2017, I think we've seen increased activism and people wanting to uh, really shine a light and put a mirror up to what's happening with this administration. So I I have to be encouraged that that kind of activism is going to continue and the pendulum will swing the other way, I think, hopefully. (laughs) I think so. And I think that leads perfectly into, so there was a lot of bad things that happened last year, tempered by the great uh, response that people are having of fighting back and pushing back on these policies. So looking into next year, what's what's giving you hope? What's making you excited? I want to go back just a second to the 2018 um, wrap-up, and I think we focused a lot on how much happened, and it felt like it was an oncoming yeah. uh, release of regulations and votes and um, all of these fights we asked people to get involved in. 
at the end of the day, we did have some success, right? Not yeah. defunding Planned Parenthood, um, not the dismantling of the Affordable Care Act um, by uh, pushing back against um, regulations. And I, and I still hope those that are not yet final, like the domestic gag, are ones that uh, we will see a rapid response and pushback to. Um, we know that this in 2018, more people stood up for victims of sexual assault and harassment when we uh, saw people get involved in the confirmation battle around uh, Justice Kavanaugh's uh, uh, confirmation to the Supreme Court. Um, that uh, energy, the mobilization of people who were willing to um, come out fight after fight after fight really is, I think, what can carry us forward. And um, one of the things that I'm thinking, uh, that I'm really hopeful about is that, uh, you know, Later this month, uh, we'll, we'll see another uh, women's march all across the country. January 19th, people will be marching. And I think also they're ready to march and act um, mm-hmm. and not just uh, uh, show up on that first day, uh, but keep their communities engaged. And I uh, know it may seem early, but I think it also means that people are going to be thinking about uh, the next presidential election very early. Um, probably earlier than ever before. Uh, here is we sit in January 2019. People are ready to think about 2020, and um, I think there's some real uh, possibilities of making policy changes uh, that would uh, really impact and protect sexual and reproductive health care. Um, I think it, uh, the more light we continue to shine on all these actions, all the work that activists and supporters are doing around the country, um, the incoming class of the 116th Congress and the House. Uh, doing oversight, asking the right questions. All of that energy, I think, is going to fuel us to uh, what I'm hopeful for, which is um, 2021 being able to uh, actually roll back some of uh, all of the mess that we've seen these (laughs) last couple years. Great. And I always like to end with what can people do to fight back? So thinking in the new year, um, what, what can people do? I know people have been doing so much already. Is there anything new they should be doing or different or just keep calling your congressperson? Yeah, I know Which my organizing friends feel like, oh boring, my gosh, how like, can I make another phone it. call? <laughs> how can I make another phone call? So I, I, will, I will say two things that I think people can do. One is please know that your calls do matter when you're talking to elected officials. There is someone's job who it is in that office to count the number of phone calls coming in and to report that to the elected official on a daily basis. So um, I know that it seems like every uh, fight, every action, uh, Planned Parenthood and all of our coalition partners, it seems like one thing that we ask activists and supporters to do is to call. Um, And that's because it does make a difference. So um, get ready to continue ringing the phone lines and 2019. And then I would say, um, most importantly, is that people should get connected locally. Um, We've seen a lot of change happen at the, uh, I focused a lot on federal elections uh, and the outcome of the midterms, bringing in um, the first pro-reproductive health majority to the U.S. House. But there have been a lot of changes at the state and local level as well. And so I would encourage for folks to get involved with Planned Parenthood Action Fund's Defender Program. This is uh, Planned Parenthood Defenders is a program that you can organize yourself and your friends and your community. Um, and uh, every boy, everything from fundraisers to uh, 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 local getting together to uh, crochet together to getting together to um, to take actions, to do local marches, um, to do canvassing events. Uh, we really have been energized by people who are organizing 
fundraising themselves um, rather than any one organization. Uh, these are people who are finding like-minded folks in their communities and um, staying connected. And I think uh, that is really opportunity to hear what the issues are locally, uh, what people are most concerned about on a local level. And that's where uh, you can make sure that your call or your request to elected officials um, touches not just your member of Congress, but really everybody at the local and state level. I think we are going to have an increased number of state battles every state legislative session. Many are coming back into session this month. And so we're going to uh, really need a lot of mobility yeah. and people turned out at the state level. Everything, a lot happens in Washington, but not everything happens in Washington. Yeah, I think that's so important. It's something we've seen. Um, I know I mentioned before that Population Institute does a 50-state report card on reproductive health and rights. And that's where a lot of the policies are happening, particularly around access to abortion. So it's so important to stay engaged in your local and state politics. Yeah, I think that um, these state legislative sessions that are coming up, we're going to see an increased attack on access to abortion. Uh, we know that with the U.S. House no longer being controlled by those who are anti-abortion, um, a lot of the advocacy and rhetoric that we've seen from anti-abortion organizations, what they regularly share online is that they're going to take these the, these fights mm -hmm. to the states. Um, Susan B. Anthony's list just came out last week saying that um, because Congress didn't defund Planned Parenthood, we'll go piece by piece, state by state. Um, so they're laying out their roadmap, and uh, they need to be met in states by advocates um, who are ready and there to push back um, and really um, start thinking about how to hold elected officials at the state level accountable to prevent any of those uh, uh, awful abortion bans from becoming law. Jacqueline, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thank you. It's, 2019 is going to be great. <laughs> yes. For more information, including show notes from this episode and previous episodes, please visit our website at reprosefightback.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at reprosefightback. If you like our show, please help others find it by sharing it with your friends and subscribing, rating, and reviewing us on iTunes. Thanks for listening.